Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Arison. I ate some almonds right before we started recording, and I'm realizing that my teeth are full of little fragments of almonds, and I'm very uncomfortable. This episode of The Greatest Generation brought to you by almonds in Ben's mouth. <laughs> That's right, the recording artist's friend for... Over 60 years, <laughs> the Almond Growers of America, thank you for your patronage. The famously union-busting Almond Growers, isn't that... <laughs> oh, no. Don't they... Aren't Almond Growers like kind of bad, generally? You're going to put us on the on the opposite end of, of Big Almond, Ben. Yeah. I don't want to be crushed under their nutty fingers. <laughs> <laughs> the, those Big Almond guys will break your knees like cracking a shell i'm way more afraid of big almond than big rod we've stared into the into the face of big rod and lived to tell the tale so big rod's like sauron if sauron wore a dorky (laughs) t-shirt charged 40 bucks for his own signature yeah like who gives a fuck (laughs) hey i'm frank stallone I'm, I'm looking at the judges' table during the slam dunk contest. <laughs> now the crowd lets you know what they think of it. Now we will wait for the judges. It was like a, a 4.8 on yeah. a 10-point scale. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, uh, I heard tell that uh, that you went to our P.O. box recently. Was there anything in it? I've been out of town for a long time, and uh, I came back to a box full of mail, Ben. Let's get that stuff opened. Let's open that shit up. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Ben, on the very top of the stack was a postcard from our good friend Ant Kilzer, uh, one of the best friends of DeSoto. Yeah, Ant Kilzer's one of the greats. Ant Kilzer's still in Japan. We got to meet her on our last tour. Right? Yeah. What city was she in when we met her? Do you remember? I remember meeting her most clearly at MaxFunCon East, but oh, yeah. I'm almost positive we met her before that. Yeah. At another show. Well, she's now in Japan, which is not uh, on the Greatest Gen Con touring schedule, unfortunately. I think after this postcard, you might want to change your mind about that, Ben. Mm-hmm. Message goes like this. Dear Adam and Ben, I'm writing from Shimoda, Japan. What? After surfing and swimming in the ocean, life's good. I found a job and got a five-year visa. Wow. I remember that being uh, very much in question last time we heard from Anne, so I'm glad that worked out for her. She continues, your show brings me joy, and I'm catching up with DS9. Come visit Japan, exclamation point. Hell yeah. I want to revisit Japan so bad, Ben. Uh, Anne, I don't want to ask too much of you. It sounds like you're a busy person. But if in your travels throughout Shimoda and and parts non-Shimoda in Japan, (laughs) if you find a place that would be appropriate for a Greatest Gen show, uh, I'm, I'm willing to consider the possibility. Do you think we could sell 50 tickets in Japan? 
Ben, if we sold 50 tickets in Japan, I will say right now that I would go and do that show. Yeah. I mean, it's a tax write-off, right? If we, if we uh, Yeah. That's like a, a government-subsidized trip to Japan. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm no tax professional, and I'm famously terrible with money, so sure, I'm ready to believe that. Yeah, j- just take it from me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I trust you so much, Ben. It would definitely be a, lose- a money-losing proposition, but not that bad of a money-losing proposition. <laughs> I've lost more money for less valid reasons. What if we went to Japan and found out we were like a huge deal there and we just never knew because we have crappy analytics on our podcast host? Huge in Japan is one of the only ways that I want to talk about myself. (laughs) So that would be great. That would be really fun. Uh, Wow, that's so great to hear that Ann Kilzer is uh, having a great time over there. Do we have any other mail? Yeah, we do. We've got two more packages, Ben. I'm opening up the second. What we have here is a photo mailer sent to us from Emily out of San Antonio, Texas. And uh, there is a letter in an envelope and also a challenge coin, Ben. Woo! This challenge coin on one side says, Black Knights, checkmate. (laughs) And on the other side, it says, Commander's Coin of Excellence, 93rd Intelligence SQ. Whoa. A beautiful and substantial coin. The greeting card says hi on the front. (laughs) And the letter inside says, Dear Adam and Ben, I recently received my FOD challenge coin, and it's so lovely. I wanted to send this along. Oh, so she must have come to to one of our Texas shows. Yeah. Because we didn't get the coins made in time for our Texas shows, so we had to mail them out. And by the way, uh, we had one return to sender, and I think we sorted that out and one that we heard from the person that it didn't show up and so I sent out another but if you came to one of our Texas shows and you're wondering if your coin is still on its way if you haven't gotten it yet uh, send us a tweet or something because we uh, it, it may have gotten lost in the mail the letter continues traditionally challenge coins or RMOs as they're known in some circles, are given in recognition of good work or are exchanged with new acquaintances from distant duty stations. Yeah. In light of that, please think of my payment as a donation to the cause and accept this RMO. (laughs) And then uh, in parentheses, she's like, round metal object, if you're curious. (laughs) That's great. From my own collection. Thanks for everything. And when will we get a friendly fire one? asks oh, Emily. That's a great question. Yeah, the Friendly Fire Challenge coin is uh, an object that is definitely going to be created at some point. Got to be a pork chop on one side of that challenge coin, you got to believe, right? <laughs> is that heads or tails? <laughs> I feel like that's heads. I don't know why, and I don't know why I'm so positive about that, but yeah. yeah. Adam, it's a beautiful coin. Thank you for Jackie and Lorying it to me. Hey, don't thank me. Uh, Thank Emily in San Antonio. We got one final package here, Ben. It was sent internationally. And uh, while on the packaging it says, do not bend, double exclamation point, double underlined, (laughs) it looks like it's really been through some shit, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's torn in places, but uh, I'm not going to let that stop me from enjoying opening this one up from Dean. I'm going to use one of the holes in the packaging to uh, to finish the open jab. Oh, boy. What is spilled out are a number of slips of paper that says, This is your own fault. Okay. That's uh, mildly disturbing. 
Is there like ricin in there also? <laughs> this is your own fault. Uh, I will Jackie and Lori you some pictures of this. Just so you have uh, some documentation of what caused my death. This is really creepy. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe I'll go to the letter before opening this up. Uh, it's from Dean from somewhere in the old U of K. Adam and Ben, hey guys, I couldn't think of better recipients for the contents of this little package. <laughs> I'm just going to turn back to you, Ben, and say, uh, not making me feel any better. <laughs> I long recalled the sight of these at my mother's house, always wondering not so much how she acquired them, but why she kept them. Again, Ben, uh-huh. not helping. No, getting creepier, if Now anything. they have come to me, and I knew that an unseen hand was working to only one end. They are destined for you guys. I'm reliably informed that these will work perfectly until 2025. Until then, enjoy. Hopefully we will still be enjoying the quality pod by then, too. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Dean, it sort of ended more encouragingly. Yeah, sort of. Uh, I feel like I should put on gloves. <laughs> but I also feel like it's too late for me now. Oh, and what we've got are two Deep Space Nine wall calendars from 1997. Ugh. <laughs> How about that? Unopened. Wow. Have they been harmed by the abuse that the package took or No, no, they're they're in great shape. Wow. I'm wondering if the package wasn't opened and all of the this is your own fault strips of paper were crammed in into those holes. Because I do not understand what that has to do with anything else. Well, it's that we started an embarrassing Star Trek podcast and uh, he's holding us responsible for him having mailed this to us. Wow. Well, uh, hopefully having opened his package, we can cut to Dean scratching me off his list of people to kill. <laughs> I wonder like, when we, can, when we can bust out our Deep Space Nine calendars again. Years with the same calendar as 1997 are 2003, 2014, 2025. Oh, we have a little bit of time. Ben, I've been a fool for throwing away my calendars up until now. Yeah, I what kept a them. waste of money, Adam. Are you <laughs> fucking nuts? <laughs> wow, well, thanks for those calendars and uh, and the other stuff. <laughs> Dean, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you have stuff you would like to send us, uh, we have a P.O. box whose address I will not give out on the podcast. It's easy enough to find, though. Uh, contact a friend of DeSoto for that information, and I'm sure they'll be happy to give it to you. Yeah. Much like the P.O. Box address, so too is the first episode of the third season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, entitled The Search, Part One. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. It's a season that begins like the end of season two is a cliffhanger, right? Yeah. There was no Riker saying fire, but it definitely feels like a brief recap. It's not a cliffhanger per se in that there's not like continuing action, but mm-hmm. the uh, the threat feels very imminent at the end of season two. And they they do go so far as to cut together the minute and 30 second uh, recap of the last episode, which uh, is interesting because this is part one of a two episode arc. I mean, and colloquially, it's known as the second part of a three-episode arc, an right. arc called the Dominion Introduction. Yeah, 
the beginning of this episode affords us a really fun bit of business, Ben, because uh, this is a binge watch moment where we've gone through a passage of time right. with respect to our actors, and, and we've noticed uh, a few differences to both the characters and the station itself in, in some fun ways. You want yeah. to enumerate those? Well, we've, uh, yeah, we start with the McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Kira is doing some, uh, they've like analyzed the defensive capabilities of the station W slash R slash T, the ticks that the Jem'Hadar fly around, and her hair is uh, is grown out a little bit, slightly more more hair on her head than... She's had in previous seasons. Then the camera pans over to Dax. Dax has got a whole new haircut. What? Dax has got Pioneer Woman hair. She's got like Pioneer Woman hair with some some sci-fi flair. Like like the the shape of it is all Pioneer Woman, but the way the the locks are like tied into like regular fins on the on the sides heading toward the back is. Uh, it's real advanced, you know. Pioneer women didn't have time for that shit. Yeah, pioneer women didn't have the volume that she's able to achieve. Well, she's always had like perplexing volume, right? Like <laughs> her, her her previous haircut was a t- tended to be a ponytail, but you know, up on the top of her head, she definitely had something assisting the uh, the hair to uh, to pop up as much as it did it's gotten symmetrically embiggened like it's it's taller and wider and deeper she's gone to volumizing shampoo university and uh graduated summa cum laude neutrogena t-gel it works interesting choice ben because like uh nana visitor famously was like kira would never have hair that that took this much work Right to to style, and so she had it cut off. But this is a hairstyle that clearly takes a lot of work yeah, to make happen. And Dax is a person that we know to like get in wrestling matches in her quarters. Yeah, like this this does not appear to be the hair of an eight hundred year old being. It seems fussy. But I think Dax is like is really into like leaning into the gender expression of its host, you know? Like Yeah. So when when Dax is a dude, it's like the dutiest dude, right? Like all the stories yeah. about uh, about Curzon are about like womanizing and drinking and and uh getting in fights and shit and and Jedzia is like a super feminine character. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's like a major departure, but this is it definitely bespeaks a good deal of time has passed since the last episode, you know? Yeah. You don't just leave work with a pony and show up the next day with this. This feels like, uh, in a number of ways, this is the, the season where Riker got the beard. Because, <laughs> I mean, that, that the hairstyles have changed, the, the com badges have changed, Odo's makeup and costuming has changed. Yeah, is it, is it the belt that they added? I think his entire costume is different than really? what it was in the previous season. But one crucial aspect that has changed, I think, is I think the lighting on the station is different. This feels a lot like a change between incandescent and LED lighting. Mm. Lights around the station feel a lot brighter to me. Yeah, they uh, glow in the camera more, maybe? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I feel like they're shooting into them a lot more in this episode. Yeah. Uh, they're having this McLaughlin group uh, with Cisco absent, and uh, he makes sort of a grand entrance that, that shocks those around this meeting. It's a little bit like uh, Bruce Wayne showing up at the 
fundraiser for Harvey Dent by <laughs> landing on the uh, the helipad and helping three babes in different color dresses out of his helicopter. Yeah. All of the alarms on the station like go off at once and they're reading some kind of anomaly. Distance 300 meters. 300 meters? Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. They speculate that this may be a cloaking device and in, indeed it is, Adam. We cut to the exterior and a, uh, a ship comes out of cloak. A ship that uh, the like of which we have never seen. It's definitely a Federation starship, but I've never seen that design before. Like a 50-year-old man coming back from a car lot with a brand new Ford Mustang. Like <laughs> It feels very midlife crisis and Cisco here rolling up with his T-tops convertible ship. Yeah. Uh, the Defiant is uh, pretty rad looking. Pretty stubby bit of business. Yeah, it's flat and sleek. It's uh, it's hard to tell scale-wise where it's at because it's, um, I mean, it, like, it doesn't quite look like any other Starfleet ship. I mean, it's I, it's such a cool bit of design because it's, like, unmistakably Starfleet-y, but mm-hmm. it's not like anything we've seen before, you know? It kind of looks like the Federation impression of a Jem'Hadar ship, and I don't think that's an accident. Yeah, it's got a beetly profile. Yeah. That thing got a hammy? Yeah. Sweet. He's very excited about this new ship. He, uh, he beams aboard, and they have a second consecutive <laughs> McLaughlin group, Adam. Yes, you do. They move into uh, the larger conference room, and uh, and he's given them the, the down low on the Defiant. And... Um, he he had a hand in designing this thing. In the post-Wolf 359 world, when Starfleet was looking at ships that are explicitly designed for combat so that we can kill Borgs, uh, what would that look like? Uh, they came up with this. I love its backstory. It reminds me of that ship they ran into in the wrecking yard that was that, was that lowrider class ship yeah. that, that was destroyed in one glancing shot because it was so full of explosives. Right. <laughs> It's a real hot rod, right? It's like, he, he says it's uh, overpowered and overgunned for a ship of its size. And I love that it's imperfect. And I think that's crucial. Like, it's it would be so easy for them to arrive into season three with like a cheat code weapon. Right. Where, where that is like purpose built to solve the problem that we created at the end of season two. But they cop to right away this being an imperfect solution to a terrifying problem. Like, they spend the entire first part of the episode talking about how in every simulation they lose the fight. And now they have their best chance in the form of something that could end up destroying them. Yeah. There were two things I wish they had fleshed out a tiny bit more. One is that the Borgs are no longer considered to be as big a threat. And unclear what has changed yeah i completely agree i think that's insane for yeah. them to be like they're gone and they're never coming back and we don't have any proof of that i guess is is it because lore messed them up too much in that episode arc where he had all the like indie borgs i mean there are a lot of episodes that we don't see yeah of just administration <laughs> in the aftermath of of the descent episodes that i would really like to know a little more about yeah, I mean, the other thing that he says just kind of offhand is that the there's a Romulan cloaking device on it. And uh, when did we get to be big friends with the Romulans to the extent that they would give a piece of super classified technology to us 
even with a custodian. When you want a cloaking device, it's going to come with that. But I'm not quite clear on what the relationship is that has made this possible. I mean, like the explanation we get in passing from the Romulan officer that's been dispatched to, you know, be hall monitor for the cloaking device is that the Romulans don't want the Dominion to have any influence over the Alpha Quadrant. So it's seen as like a state priority. But like, how the fuck are the Romulans so aware of what a huge threat the Dominion poses? I just don't get it. I don't know. I mean, this is T-Rule, and she gets to walk around with a cat basket and a phaser. Like, that seems like something that, in spite of their professional relationship and the need for her to run the cloaking device, that they wouldn't allow. Yeah. We're going to have to suspend a lot of disbelief to (laughs) accept the cloaking device aspect of this ship. She's not there to make friends, Ben. Yeah. In short order, she leaves this McLaughlin group, leaving behind uh, another person, Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington, who makes it clear he is there to make friends. He's sort of a, uh, a Lieutenant Toast type. I'm Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington, Starfleet Security. When he follows his boner into Kira, I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, this is going to be our B story, is him chasing Kira around. Charming. We never see him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fun to plant a writing seed that big and never address it within the the episode that you planted it in. Yeah. Like, that's almost something that, like, we mainly associate with disco, you know? Yeah. But, but, uh, but they're doing that here. You're telling me Eddington's going to be of concern later on? Uh, I mean, I I recognized him, so I think he's in more than one episode. I don't, huh. I don't think uh, I don't think they uh, introduce a character by announcing him by name and then never never have him back. You know, right? Daddy came back from the car lot with his fancy car, but he also came back with a mission, Adam. <laughs> that was a well timed horn. <laughs> <laughs> That mission is to uh, go into the Gamma Quadrant, despite the the fact that the Jem'Hadar expressly forbade that, and attempt to establish a diplomatic relationship with the Founders, the mysterious people that run the Dominion. Founders who have never been seen, who everyone who describes them has said uh, they may or may not even exist. It is purely speculative right now this mission it's such a starfleet move though like yeah like if we could just talk to them (laughs) you know it's it's ultimate exploration too yeah like the entire board is open for them they're just gonna see what they can find and uh what better way than in a cloaked ship A lot has changed in the intervening, you know, summer break. And one of those things is that the Starfleet uh, higher ups have decided that Odo is not going to be in charge of everything related to security on the station. Like he can, he can be the mall cop for the promenade, but he can't be chief of station security. And uh, that's where Eddington comes in. And Odo's 
pretty cheesed by this. My resignation will be logged within the hour. I don't think he's ever felt like his job's been safe. And he takes this as a man who is expecting this to happen. Resigned, yet angry about it. Yeah, I mean, if Worf had been held to the standard that Odo's being held to, though, like, uh, <laughs> things would have changed pretty radically on the Enterprise, you know? Like, the yeah. the reason he's being removed is that there have been some security breaches. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, allowing Quark to walk totally unpunished uh, yeah. episode after episode. Allowing might be a Fishy problem. Bajorans to just board the station without any questioning. What would you say you do here? These are all career-limiting moves, Ben. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that Worf is not guilty of that Odo is is that uh, Odo's not a team player. Like, he's kind of recalcitrant and resists the, uh, resists the moves that Starfleet makes to try and get him to comply with their procedures and uh you know that's just not good politics so boy ben that's a great call because it it makes me think that maybe that's why quark continues to be unpunished for his many crimes like he's a fun guy to be around (laughs) odo is not yeah there is a ton of tension between odo and cisco in this episode and odo considers this to be racism yeah. Which is another, like, it's another, like, uh, like in the last episode, Quark saying, I have lots of friends that are humans. Like, the the writer's turning to camera a little bit. Yeah, the portrayal of racism in front of Avery Brooks's character is an ongoing thing. And it's fascinating to see happen. For an actor that is, like, I'm sure dealt with tons and tons of racism coming up through the ranks in Hollywood, that... that must be a hard position for Avery Brooks to play to like put yourself in the shoes of the oppressor. I also don't believe he would accept this in the way that Kalamini said he wouldn't be in an episode with with a leprechaun. Right. You know? But like that, uh, this isn't about race. Like explain it away thing that he says. I think is kind of the the knee jerk defense of. Somebody who's doing a thing that has racist results for reasons that they do not think of as racist, right? And uh, and that's that's a really interesting position to put this character in. Like, I think he believes it when he says it. You know, usually racism takes the form of like ignoring the fact that it's uh, a structure that is all around us and. And that's why, like, people that aren't, like, avowed racists can do things that have racist results. And this is an example of that. And and this scene cuts right to Jake Sisko eating a bowl of pudding. So, like, you really, <laughs> it really rubs it in your face. <laughs> Kids love Gentle Brand Pudding. Real tone shift here. I know you thought I was just uh, spending the entire time virtue signaling at him, but I was really setting up a joke about Jake eating pudding. He is, uh, he's almost brought to full release eating this pudding (laughs) we get the sense that they have been gone for a very long time because this is a food product that jake has missed for the duration of their travels i like that the show has used the break between season two and three as a time technology as if as to encourage us into believing that they have been gone for that amount of time they were gone long enough to miss food yeah they were gone long enough for uh for cisco to take some meetings and pack up some of his effects and bring them back to the station 
they were gone long enough to feel like they were homesick. Yeah. I feel like if I had a 2,000-year-old mask that was of unspeakable value, I, n- I might not take it back to the station that has a target painted on it right now. <laughs> Personally, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I might leave it at home for safekeeping. I don't, I don't quite understand the logic of this, but uh, like this scene is all about we are gonna put away the Cisco that is somewhat unsure of uh, his commitment to being stationed here. Uh, we are now a thousand percent in uh, in this station with Cisco, who's who, by the way, has also uh, been to the hairdresser and had some changes made. Uh, you know, he's he's gone from like a three on the clipper to like maybe a one or a two on the clipper. Hey, he looks good. Yeah. You know, Ben, describing Ben Sisko's new domesticity at Deep Space Nine makes me think about how we as viewers might begin to feel that same way through him. It's the beginning of season three. This show is becoming confident and more permanent and... Maybe this is a place that we're going to end up living in for six or seven seasons like TNG. I think, I don't think this is an accident that he's feeling this way at this moment in time, because I think we're supposed to feel the same way. We're supposed to, and I think we do. I'm, the show being renewed for a third season after 26 episodes of season two is, you know, this is the trek that we have now. Yeah. And that's a, a pretty exciting place to be. Uh, he doesn't unpack for long before having to repack what is probably a small bag to board the Defiant again. Because they got to go on this mission to the Gamma Quadrant. And they are. Uh, so they load up the ship with Cisco, O'Brien, Bashir, Kira, Dax, Quark, T. Rule. And after equivocating for a while, Odo at the last second. Yeah, Odo was like hanging out on the. On the promenade, and Kira came up and said, like, hey, the uh, Bajoran government gave me a call and said they really want you on this defiant mission. And he was like, bull fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> he really called her on her bluff. And uh, yeah. so we we really think that, like, he is going to be Audi 5000. But instead, I would like permission to come aboard. I'm here at the request of the Bajoran government. I mean, if you were a big fan of Robert McKee's story, uh, who do you want him to bunk with, Ben? The most hilarious oil to his water, <laughs> Quark. Do you need to give Odo quarters? I think you could find a janitor's closet for him. Right. What does it? What does he even care? You could just find the air vent that Tom Cruise would be crawling around in if this was a Mission Impossible film is big enough to hold the bucket. That's all you need for Odo, right? Could Odo turn himself into an aquarium with realistic fish inside? <laughs> When the chewing gum got smashed onto him, would he explode as water with fish or would he explode as glop like we saw in that Mirror Universe episode? He's not shape-shifting enough. Yeah. I mean, we see him We see him go to bucket mode, but that's just about it. Yeah, he gets super pissed at Quark because uh, he needs a little privacy. He needs a modesty screen for when he goes into the bucket because... Yeah. Uh, he gets really irritated that Quark wants to hang out with him, and uh, so Quark turns his back during the shift. And and Quark is there because the Nagus talked to Cisco about needing a Ferengi voice in this diplomatic mission, and um, the Nagus was so forcefully behind this idea that he sent his own scepter with Cisco to 
provide a uh, a forceful argument for Quark, who initially really resists being on this mission. Are we to believe that this is an authentic scepter? Yeah, couldn't you just replicate the sept? Kind of seemed like this was a con job to me, like in tone. And I'm only saying that because of Avery Brooks's portrayal here. He's he's like, there is a just a little bit of ham on his <laughs> performance, and I don't feel like it's totally because Ben Sisko is relishing the idea of of twisting Quark's arm into this. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something else going on. I thought it was pretty messed up the way he put the scepter between his legs and then extended <laughs> it like a boner toward Quark and said, kiss my scepter. Yeah, his his many pelvic thrusts in this scene <laughs> were a little out of character. <laughs> Quark just uh, closes his eyes and says, I'm happy to surf the Nagus and opens his mouth as wide as he can. Cut to black. Their compliment is full now, and so they journey through the hole that is worm. <laughs> they hit the cloak right away. Ben, I don't think we can be sure whether or not you can go through the wormhole under cloak, but I don't know why you wouldn't if you could. You have to assume that you can't, because they say, yeah. I want to turn that thing on the second we get through. Yeah. And that means, like, the lights dim. There's, like, we've had a f- relatively few times on ships that are going to cloak before now, so it's fun to get yeah. a sense of, like, what you go through when you are under cloak it's a it's a little like rigging for silent running in a submarine film yeah there's a lot of that in this ep and it's really fun we get our first example of this when uh, a couple of Jem'Hadar ticks are out on patrol doing a flyby and Cisco uses this as as a chance to see if they can be picked up on their radar while under cloak yeah, that we cut to Jim Hadar Jonesy, who says he thinks he heard singing when they were flying by. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this is there. You know how there's like that white noise, ship noise that you get on Federation ships. Yeah. When they cut main power, I haven't noticed this before in Star Trek, but all of that goes away, and all the dialogue sounds like it's in a sound booth. Yeah. I really like that. That was cool. That was very cool sound design, and there's like there's plateaus of it right like when they go to cloak but they're still at warp it's one sound environment and when they cut main power and go to full stop it's a totally different one it's all in the kind of subcognitive soundscape of it yeah you're not like thinking about hearing it you're just like aware that a thing has changed i love how like you're saying how it's not a b but it's like many tracks being added and removed that's yeah. compounding. Right. It's great. Golden Cotton. The Golden Cotton. So, the first stop is this uh, is this planet that the Ferengis have established a Tulaberry wine trade pact with, and I was really excited for this to be a reprisal of the Muscle Face. Uh, Me too. Uh, kink aliens. <laughs> the old kink lord guys, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't them. That's not who the Ferengi wound up making that deal with. And uh, they did make a deal with is a guy that is obsessed with metallurgy. He keeps like looking up close at different objects around the bridge of the Defiant and assessing what materials he thinks it's made out of. Yeah, this guy's Orinthar, and he is openly negotiating with Quark on the bridge. Kind of a strange place to be doing that bit of business. My sense is that they probably had time to build a bridge and not much else for the Defiant at this point. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, I have read that they wanted to have a starship on Deep Space Nine after 
really struggling as a production to do bridge scenes on runabouts where there's just not that much room. Yeah. And this really lets them kind of move around and and have fun. So I think, you know, this is a really cool bridge set. And I imagine the temptation was just too great not to maximize the amount of time they had shooting with it. This negotiation between Orenthar and Quark is ostensibly about tulaberries, but it's also about sussing out some details about the founders because Orenthar is a guy who would know. And uh, Cisco and Quark are kind of good cop, bad copping him where they uh, they kind of twist his arm. And so he he puts it up on screen the Kalanon system and we get on the uh, on the main viewer on the Defiant Bridge a look at the star systems surrounding them and uh, one thing on that screen really catches Odo's eye what is that it is the Omarian Nebula and it is like hypnotizing like Vigo's painting in Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> like he is totally entranced yeah. like everyone else is going on and on about the Kalanon system and it's deep well of pink lotion you put on chicken pox but Odo <laughs> is hey you can also use it for uh, poison oak right <laughs> but uh but Odo's got only one thing on his mind and it's that nebula yeah Odo is kind of the data of Deep Space Nine in that he is very powerful and destructive if he wants to be. And I would sort of be on alert anytime I was around him for any change in behavior like what we're seeing right? that could potentially make him dangerous yeah, and possibly it, able to steal a ship he does sort to go of on his own private mission. Data is being influenced by an unknown third party yeah. vibes when he, when he sees that nebula. Yeah. And, uh, I guess uh, there just haven't been that many Odo is a an evil bad guy episodes aside from that one, right? Yeah. The Defiant pulls up to this relay station at Kalanon, and it's O'Brien and Dax that beam over. And there's a nifty bit of production choice happening here, Ben, that I'm curious about whether or not you got, which was like the establishing scenes of them doing tech to this stuff are very smooth and controlled like to establish their control of the moment. But the shots that follow when they, they do a little bit of shot reverse shot as they're communicating with Cisco. Yeah. Uh, the shots that follow are obscured by things and also go handheld, which yeah. really serve to jack up the tension of what's to come. Yeah. It, because that handheld feels like POV. It doesn't feel yeah. like, it doesn't feel like the, fly on the wall where we're just watching something that happening that's happening it's we are we are in somebody's head who is watching something that's happening and right. it really amps up the unease and and to their credit like the the way the performances are they they're reacting to the fact that like it's quiet too quiet and maybe we should get out of here but they don't they haven't perceived a threat around them aside from that and they're not playing the like you know, they're not pegging the needle with the music or anything. They're just letting that tension build kind of naturally. And Isn't it interesting how, like, the absence of a threat when a threat is expected is a threat in and of itself? Yeah. That's fun. It's fun. And it, and it's also, like, when you beam down to a set, it's not always that it looks this cool. Like, it's really, like, layered space. There's lots of interesting objects in it. You 
kind of get the sense that everything you're seeing has a purpose that it was designed for it. Like early TNG, you you beam down to like a science lab or something, and it's just like full of beeps and boops and goo uh-huh. that miscellaneous science shit. And that's not how this feels. And importantly, those sets are shot wide. Right. And they don't do that here, and I think that's crucial. Like yeah. It's, it's claustrophobic. And good. Like if all if all the money you have is to fill up this amount of set space with your best stuff, uh, this is what they did, and they shot it great. Yeah, it feels a little bit like beaming over to a Borg cube. Tonally, it feels that way too. Like when they first beam over, when the Borgs are asleep, yeah. and 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 no one's regarding them as a threat, it it feels very much like that in this scene too. Yeah, and then when. When they get got, the camera kind of like walks around to behind them, and then like a sheet of metal like slides in front of them cutting them off from the rest of the space yeah hand goes on dax's back we've lost contact with him you you don't see it coming because everything comes out of the shadows and it's yeah it's really a really scary moment and then it's cut to the bridge of the defiant and we don't hear from them again the reason we don't cut back to them is because the ticks have found the defiant they have found them even though they're cloaked they have this decision to make right like do we decloak and engage these guys and try and save our our friends o'brien and dax in order to use the phasers we will have to decloak that means we'll be seen by the gem hadar or do we do we uh try and sneak out of here we can't just leave them there it's cisco's do we seal the bilge bay moment right he's a commander he's passed the same test that deanna troy did yeah he sent Jordy to his death dozens of times just for fun. <laughs> yeah. That's it. When he when he goes down to Quark's bar, that's the holodeck program he loves to fire up. <laughs> Kill Jordy. Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. This really horrifies Bashir, but it is exactly what the Romulan lady wants. And so they uh, start to make arrangements to leave, and uh, they, they call Odo up to the bridge, and Odo's like, Sorry, I'm in too bad of a mood. Not coming up. <laughs> I read something on Twitter that really made me upset. (laughs) Somebody said I had a face for radio and it really hurt my feelings. To the best we can tell, he's just looking at the star chart that has the Omerian Nebula on it. Like, that's all he's doing. Yeah, he's just in his room jacking it to that star chart. (laughs) And and Kira walks in on him and he's like, oh, Do you think Odo makes his dick as big as possible when he jacks it? Or do you think... (laughs) He's all about verisimilitude and, like, gives himself an average size crank. I mean, Odo could make 20 dicks and arms to jack him. Like, he could do anything. <laughs> like, nothing is too exotic for him. Yeah, his onanism time must be a real Baroque affair. <laughs> God, like, I feel like I tell a dick joke, and then you tell the college term paper version of that <laughs> dick joke. <laughs> like, thanks, Ben. Thanks, thanks for telling the most purely distilled version of that. Like, there's nowhere for me to go. I just Your wanted- yes and is like yes and in 20 different languages, <laughs> like single, single spaced and perfectly printed out. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not using an exotic font that makes my paper look longer than it is. Your your yes and belongs in the Louvre. <laughs> morn, morn, morn. Dear, sweet, morn, morn, morn. You hear everybody? Morn, morn. stop. Hammer time. <laughs>
they have like a real heart to heart, right? Like Kira comes in and he's like, I don't know what to even think about this. But ever since I saw that thing, like it's all I want to think about. And I'm obsessed with going there. I love the way that Kira describes friendship. It's transactional. I'm your friend. You know, the one who comes to you when she needs help. But in saying that it's transactional, it's not without emotion. She's like... Right, it's not cynically transactional. In a very efficient amount of dialogue, she's able to draw him out. And she also <laughs> draws out a girder that falls on her <laughs> about a second later. Like, this, this, uh, this scene isn't concluded before the bangers start dropping. Right, they kind of get cut off, and um, yeah. so they can they can smell through the cloak, and uh, yeah, yeah, because they're cloaked when we cut back up to the bridge, and cloaked and also main power deactive, right? Because that 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 vocal sound effect has changed too. Yeah, and uh, they're already pretty banged up by the time they come out of cloak, but it's also a really uneven fight, and uh, this is a really fun action sequence where we get to see what the Defiant is made of because it is getting bangers dropped on it left and right and it stays in the fight and when it turns and starts uh, licking shots in the atmosphere it takes a Jem'Hadar ship out pretty quickly like they're at least a weapons match if not defensively matched with the uh, with the Jem'Hadar the stakes are high because we're told right away people are dying and the way that the Defiant opens up on these ticks, it's like Jesse Ventura's gun from the Predator. Like, <laughs> it is a rate of fire on these torpedoes we've never seen before, and it is awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. It's so much more visceral of space combat than we've typically gotten in Star Trek. You know, like yeah, we we see the the D rotating slowly in space to take phaser shots at a Romulan warbird from time to time. It's never mm-hmm. like active and and physical but like there is fire and smoke on the bridge of the defiant from jump and it is intense yeah if there were an equivalent amount of damage to the d the d would not be in the fight right you know we're cutting back and forth from the bridge to space to the lower decks where odo is helping kira uh, get out from under that that girder and the the Jem'Hadar board the ship. They uh, they beam right through the shields, and there's like a melee of Star Trek fighting. We got Odo and Kira fighting Jem'Hadar. We cut back up to the bridge. A bunch more Jem'Hadar beam on. Cisco, the Romulan lady, Bashir, like everybody is Star Trek fighting. Everyone gets an axe handle. There's an axe handle for everyone. Those ha- axe handles were fast as lightning, and I got to say, <laughs> it was a little bit frightening. <laughs> It has got to hurt so bad to punch a Jem'Hadar in the face. It's yeah, all bone. They got toothy faces. Uh, and you never see anyone do that punch and then shake their hand afterwards. I think <laughs> right. that would be welcome here. Yeah, like, shouldn't Starfleet be issuing knuckle dusters to everybody that's uh, stationed on a ship that may be operating within wormhole proximity? Also seems like a fight that is not good for dustbusters because I think you want a butt of a rifle sized weapon yeah and the Jem'Hadar are really down to use a rifle but yeah um, one of them gets out a hand phaser and hits Kira and she goes down and it's uh, heavily implied that she dead but we fade back up from black and uh, she not dead yeah we get a what feels like a fairly rare passage of time fade to black and fade up 
Yeah. But when it does fade back up, she's on a shuttle and she's been kind of resisting this idea. Uh, Odo has been pushing for shuttle hangs so that he can go <laughs> check out this neb. And she's been like, no, dude, this is a, like, that's not what we're doing right now. And, uh, and so she's kind of, she's kind of angry when she wakes up and finds out that that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's two things at work, right? There's what she thought was a resolution to the Odo needing a shuttle and wanting to go explore the nebula issue, but there's also the disorientation of waking up in a car or something that I think we have experienced at one time or another in our life. Right. Like, famously, a couple of my good friends woke up on an airplane going to Vegas after after a bender of a particular note. Like, Really? Yeah, this is, it's not my story to tell, but some very good friends of mine uh, at the height of our drinking and gambling debauchery. Are you going to, are you going to Jackie and Lori me their names or am I just going to have to speculate on which of your friends? You've never, you've never met them, unfortunately. Okay. okay. Yeah, they, they are, the way the story was told to me was they woke up on the plane having had no idea how they got there and just sort of piecing it together uh, in uh, in a hangover refractory state, like on descent into Las Vegas Airport, <laughs> they proceeded to spend what I think was twenty four hours there, like drinking themselves back into blackout drunk, <laughs> to the degree that when they got back to the airport for the return flight home, one of them didn't have a shoe and the TSA agent told them that they couldn't go through TSA unless they had two shoes that, that they could take off to go through security and then to put back on again afterwards. That's a, such a stupid rule. <laughs> that is so emblematic of the, the security theater of TSA. So they had to go buy fucking Las Vegas flip-flops or something. One of them did anyway, in order to have two shoes to take off at security to go back through. It was a shit show of a 24-hour period. And one of the most legendary Vegas stories that I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, wow. To hear it told. When you come back up here, I'll try to arrange some hangs with these guys because that, <laughs> that story... I take that. <laughs> that story is way better told than, than how I just did, and it is a fucking humdinger. It's Man. awesome. Well, uh, we spend the rest of the episode with Kira and Odo, right? right? Yeah, uh, they are in... The runabout, and they are they are headed to the Amarian Nebula, which has an M class planet inside. Ben, and it's not a planet that's in orbit of anything. It's described as a rogue planet. And, yeah, I love uh, the idea of this. It's very dark for that reason. Yeah, I mean, despite describing it as a rogue planet, when we see a shot of it in space, there's obviously a star nearby in a yeah. sun-like proximity. But maybe it's just going by that or something. I don't know. You'd never be able to have an M-class planet if it didn't have some sort of heat source nearby. That's what I was thinking. What's the deal here? Maybe it's a rogue planet with a rogue star. What else are you going to do but beam down to this planet? I mean, Odo is being drawn by something he he knows not what. And he tells Kira in the shuttle that like the last time we saw the Defiant, it was adrift in space. Sort of like a, hey, there's not anything to go back home to. Yeah, your friends are dead. So there's no urgency to get back, and I think that's crucial in Kira's allowing this little side trip to happen. Right, because like they have, they've had such a such a close relationship in the past, and she really did try and 
do him a solid by arranging to get him on this ship and stuff. Like, she's she's really trying to help him. She knows how much distress he's in. But then he turns around and, and like, Captain Potters her, going like, I want to go to the nebula! Now, 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 now! <laughs> and she feels very hijacked into this. Like, she she is, is mad at him for doing it, but there's a tone shift, man. Like, when they come through the woods and find a... Uh, a lake that looks like Odo in his bucket, and uh, Odo Odo types start coming out of this lake. She takes a step back, and uh, one of these Odo types walks up and uh, welcomes Odo home. They found Planet Bucket. It's got to be so <laughs> awkward for Kira to be like. Could you imagine how she's feeling? We never see her in this two shot, which I think is fine. Like that's the correct choice because it's not about her. It's about like this crucial moment in Odo's backstory. Yeah, it's not even two shot, it's like dirty singles. Yeah. But like Kira has got to be so awkward. Right, cuz like, like the th- the deal with Odo, which has been reestablished, being in bucket mode is embarrassing nudity to him. And yeah. these guys just all took their dicks out. We're Buckets Buckets of fun. It's like a lake full of dicks. <laughs> Imagine the smell. I keep thinking I had the title to this episode. Now I'm not so sure. It's not going to be Lake Full of Dicks. <laughs> Why not? That's like a perfect greatest gen title. <laughs> <laughs> Baroque Jack Sesh or whatever that shit I said before was yeah. also. But <laughs> I think I think we have a number of candidates. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Did you like the episode, Ben? I did. Uh, I liked this one a lot more than I liked the the previous episode that set it up. It feels like the first of a two-parter, you know? Yeah. And uh, it makes me understand the naming convention a little bit better. Like, I, I know why they've recapped the last episode, but this felt self-contained enough that I don't think we totally needed it. And uh, this has been something we've been wondering about Odo up until now, like, the mystery of what he is and where he came from is an established character thing, and it's not always a great choice for a TV show to answer a question like that, but this is a fun way to answer it. What they've done is instead of make Odo's origin story a sidecar to everything else, which is what it has been up until now, they're tying that to the main conflict in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Like... Like this is this is now related to everything else that's going on, and so it's not going to feel like a side mission anymore, right? Uh, when he explores this stuff, did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I did. I mean, it's it felt like a war movie to me in in a in a way that I liked. I think the the stakes were high. People are dying. I like it anytime the Federation feels outgunned. I yeah. think that is a great place to tell a story. Sure. And we've now felt that way for a couple of episodes. That's good to me. Yeah. You know what's good to me, Adam? What's that? Folks that go to uh, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and arrange to have Priority One messages read out loud on the show. Should we check to see if anybody has done that for this episode? Yeah, let's do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. 
And our first priority one message is from Leah. It is for Mike. And the message goes like this. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. <laughs> Race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. It's like a duck blur. Yes, I paid $100 just to duck roll you. <laughs> yes, it was worth it. Whoa. Depending on when this airs, I hope you will have, are having, have had, fun in Japan. Well. Eternal blue, forever green, sounders till I die. Hey, you're Palia. Is duck rolling a thing that, I mean, is that like a thing that's just between Leah and Mike, or do people duck roll each other? This is my first time. Participating in the lifestyle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so typically when I see something like this for the first time, I just like to hang back, like, yeah. work on a, a snack-sized bag of chips, just kind of feel out the territory. Yeah, you... Because you don't want to look like an idiot the first time you get your duck wet. Ben, do we have another Priority One message? <laughs> we do. Uh, it is from Dan, and it's for Joe, and it's of a personal nature. It goes like this. Dearest Joe, two years ago you introduced me to The Greatest Gin and essentially the entire concept of podcasts. <laughs> this has greatly improved the way I spend time at work. Thank you for helping me enjoy my time spent in the laboratory... Warmest regards, Daniel. Boy, can you imagine if Greatest Gen was your first podcast experience? <laughs> I, I actually feel sorry for this person. <laughs> I mean, it's always flattering to hear. Like, like occasionally we've, we've heard, like, I do not listen to podcasts, but I listen to Greatest Gen. That's a really specific worldview. <laughs> and my follow-up question for Dan is, uh, once you go Greatest Gen... Do you ever go back? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like this guy's going to listen to like This American Life or 99% Invisible and just be like, oh, why was I listening to those idiots? <laughs> <laughs> this is so much better. That's going to change his life. <laughs> well, well, if you want to blame anyone for uh, turning you on... Uh, just in general, or turning you on to Greatest Gen, uh, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages like these are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They're a great, great way to help the ongoing production of Greatest Gen. They sure are. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! One of the most common forms that a Shimoda takes is the Chaos Agent. And Odo's the chaos agent in this episode, right? As soon as he gets triggered, he becomes the thing that that changes the stakes of the game. But, but I mean, as soon as he's taken over, as soon as he's he's gotten the vapors about this <laughs> nebula, uh, anything can happen. Yeah. Everything's on the table. So I think for that reason, Odo is going to be my pick here. What about you? Odo is my pick as well, Adam. And it's kind of a fun like callback TNG trope, which is the character that uh, something has changed for them, but they don't mm -hmm. really tell everybody about it. They don't, they don't hit the alarm button as hard as they should. Yeah. Um, he's just like, I need to get on a shuttlecraft and he's not like, Hey, there's something like really serious happening inside of me. And, uh, you know, that, he starts having that reaction before they're in big trouble with the Jem Hadar, so he had time to say it. He's not as chatty as as Shimoda, that's for sure. Am I right? Am I right? 
A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, what do you 
say you tell me what's coming up in the next episode. I'd be happy to do that, Adam. The next episode is Season 3, Episode 2, The Search Part 2. Odo and Kira have landed on a lone planet in the Omerian Nebula, which they have discovered is Odo's homeworld. That's, of course, the Netflix description, which uh, could just be the description of the last scene in this episode we just watched. Yeah. The uh, Amazon description is, while Odo struggles to learn the ways of his people, Cisco discovers that the price of peace with the Dominion may be too high. Yeah, I mean, I guess they may be talking about Dax and O'Brien as, as those stakes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Quark can help them negotiate a more bargain-friendly rate. I don't know. I mean, this is the, I think, the second time in four episodes that O'Brien's been kidnapped <laughs> by by an adversary, so yeah. not great luck for him. Yeah, O'Brien's having a rough uh, span of months. Well, looking forward to that. Uh, do you want to uh, roll them bones, Adam, and see what we do with this episode? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We've got a especially high stakes this time around because three of the six squares in front of us lead to Quark's bar, and two of them lead to Quark's bar that are back in time on the board. I played a bunch of craps in Vegas when we were down there, Ben, and so uh, I'm feeling deeply unlucky as I <laughs> as I roll this dice. Oh, no. And I've rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which, uh, which narrowly hops us over wow. the longest wormhole we have on the board. Yeah. Uh, into square number 88. That is uh, that's breathtaking, Adam, because we almost reset the clock quite a bit. I think I think that could have been fun. I mean, there's I don't know what happens when we reach the end of this board and we do more hammered. Yeah, that could be. I mean, be... does the game cease? Do... I don't think we're ready to answer that question. Do, like, here's a question. Like, if we're on, like, 90, if we're on 97 and we roll a five, does it just loop around or do we have to land on Mornhammered at the end? And what happens when we complete square 100? We don't have answers to any of these questions. Yeah. Do we, does the board game change? Does it just start over? Who knows? The uh, the board unfolds a completely new board after that. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> it goes to three-dimensional. Surprise board. Three-dimensional game of buttholes. Yeah. I mean, I love the title. You sold me. <laughs> Felipe would be would have too much work on his hands designing it. I think we got we got a great website. We gotta we gotta like lean into that. It's slash uh, game to follow along with this. Um, Adam, that will be the next episode. Looking forward to doing it stone cold sober. Uh, in the meantime, let's think. The great Dark Materia, and perhaps even greater, Adam Ragusea, for all the music that you hear on the program. Yeah, incredibly fortunate to have Adam Ragusea making music for us. He's one of the uh, greatest. He makes music for our shows. He makes music for our special donors-only feed shows. Yeah. If you support The Greatest Generation or Friendly Fire or any of the other Maximum Fun shows, that gets you access to our special donors-only episode content that includes uh, 
live show episodes and and special episodes on movies like Hunt for Red October and and Gremlins and yeah. a bunch of other great stuff. We really pull out the stops for those uh, donor bonus content apps and. Uh, I think they are really worth the price of admission. It's uh, MaximumFun.org slash donate if you're not already a member. I uh, got to thank all our friends of DeSoto who are chatting us up, chatting up each other over on uh, Facebook and Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. Uh, there's also Reddit pages for uh, Greatest Generation, as well as our other show, Friendly Fire. Check out Friendly Fire if you haven't listened to that show yet. I think it's great. Yeah, we're really paying Friendly Fire and uh, Greatest Discovery even. Our card daddy, Bill Tilly, makes uh, makes fun baseball cards out of every episode that we record. He's up to hundreds and hundreds. He may even have done thousands of cards by now. Oh, yeah, I think the chances are good that he's into the into the thousands at this point. Throw him a follow on Twitter. He's Bill Tilly 1973 He's one of the great hangs in the world. Adam, I think that's all the thanks we have for today. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. That is, as stinky as a lake full of dicks. Boy, I'm so glad that somebody made when, <laughs> when can I reuse this calendar.com though, because. God, you ever just edge a sneeze for like 10 seconds? <laughs> it wasn't good for you? God, that's what I just did. That was, that's a delight. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.